This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today, we have Lynn Curry here with us, and she's going to tell us all about how she's involved in real estate investing in Austin, Texas. Hey, Lynn, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Jordan? Doing well. Good deal. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you're involved with Austin Real Estate Investing? Yeah. So, uh, as you said, I'm Lynn Curry. I own a company called Starling Development here in Austin. And uh, I started investing in real estate right out of college and uh, all pr- most of it, primarily all of it, uh, in Austin because I live here. I went to UT <clears throat> and when I graduated, um, I kind of understood. I had read a lot enough books that real estate made sense. So when all my friends were getting jobs and buying new cars, I got a job and started buying houses. Um, that's morphed into over the years, I bought some commercial properties and now my core business is actually uh, building spec homes, custom homes and doing small land development deals. That's awesome. So uh, I talked to quite a few college age kids that want to get out of college and start investing in real estate right away. How did you pull that off? I got, well, I got really lucky. <laughs> so my dad in the 70s in Austin had bought a bunch of rental properties. Well, a bunch. He had bought eight rental properties. Um, and what was happening then at the time is the market was crashing. And so it was fairly easy. My dad was career Marine Corps. It was fairly easy for him to get the loans. And he was able to do that. And when I graduated from college was about the time that he was wanting to sell them all. So he, uh, I actually bought it. He gave me a decent deal on it. But, you know, the, the time, it was a very different time. The house, I think, the value of the house was something like 74,000 and he sold it to me for 67. So he, you know, he kind of gave me a deal, but it needed some work. And, uh, I had a, I had gotten a pretty decent job and worked for a few months and I was able to get a loan, you know, everything kind of comes and goes and is, is sometimes loans are easy to get. Sometimes loans are hard to get the time. It was fairly easy. Um, I got it. I did the work in the house myself and lived in the house for a couple of years before I was able to buy another house and I was able to rent that one out. So that's kind of how I started, you know, friend, like I said, friends were buying cars and kind of going out and living their life and trying to spend, spending their money on all this fun stuff. And I bought a house. <laughs> so, you know, it's a little more difficult now that in most of the cities that houses are at least here in Austin, since your, your targets, Austin, you know, houses aren't, they're not $75,000 anymore. So it's a lot more difficult now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, average home price in the Austin area is in the three thirties right now. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a very different loan than a than a seventy. I, I can't remember what my mortgage payment was, but I think it was seven hundred and fifty or eight hundred bucks. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't crazy. That's awesome. So yeah. yeah, so you started with with what we would call house hacking. You lived in the house mm-hmm. for a while, and then you rented it out when you moved out. I, think I did. Yeah. Still yep. a great way to get started, but you know, you started right out of college, which I think is the best time to get started too. And yeah, to grow that quite a bit. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was really interesting because when I when I first got out of college, I was excited about investing and and 
really exciting about building up the portfolio and how quickly I could do it. And there were times I was super depressed, like I could only buy one house or, you know, then it took me years to get the second house, you know, and it's funny that now that I'm, uh, I'm 50, <laughs> people think I'm a genius and they're like, I can't believe you, you know, you have all that real estate. And it's like, well, I did it one very tiny step at a time and it just built over time. So it feels at the time that you're doing it, maybe it's a little overwhelming or you're not doing enough, but it adds up. Yeah. And those values, if you're in a good market, those values, and Austin's a great market, they just keep going up. And I think you make a great point there. So I know a lot of people want to get started or just getting started real estate investing and they say, hey, I can only buy one house a year. And a lot. Yeah, you, that's a lot over a long period of time. You know, if you yeah. do that for quite a few years and they start paying themselves down and the values of them rise, you've got a pretty nice looking portfolio. So yeah, I mean, if you started at, let's say, let's say you started at 22 by 42, you got 20 houses and a lot. And you know, and the first half of them are pretty significantly paid down. Mm -hmm. You know, I think yeah. it's, a, I think it's a great way to do it. Yeah. That's a great point. You know, it's easy to want to move fast, but there's nothing wrong with moving slow. No, not at all. Not at all. So what attracted you to real estate investing? You said you were interested in it in college and then just sort of wanted to get into it out of college and jumped in it right away. What initially attracted you to it? You know, I think it's really funny because I think the things that we remember in our childhood are sometimes they're a little bit different than reality. So, you know, I, I saw my dad buy those houses and I, my dad and I had had these conversations about how they were part of his retirement plan and, you know, kind of what his purpose was. So that's, probably the first little inkling I got. Um, you know, my dad did a lot of, I've got two sisters and he talked to us always about kind of investing and saving for retirement and all that other stuff. And, and that was just one of the tools he was using. Um, and then in college, I don't know, I don't know what made me seek out these books, but I was reading some of the more well-known real estate books of the time. And it was, I, I can't, somebody asked me the other day, the name of, of the guys in the books, and I can't remember what they were, but they were very popular at the time. And, and in reading them, the math made sense to me. Like I've got, I've got a journalism degree. I could have got, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to go do something really, at least for me, very exciting. Cause I didn't really want to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those things. I read the books I understood the math. It was fairly simple. And I just kind of did it. I didn't have a great fear of failing. I mean, the first house I needed, I was going to live in it anyways. So I, it was a matter of, could I afford the mortgage payment? And then, you know, I just kind of kept going that way. I, I, I don't, I rarely get on that kind of thing. So overwhelmed with making the decision. I think a lot of people do. I think people you know, they just keep running the numbers and keep running the numbers and keep running the numbers. And it's like, it kind of either works or it doesn't. And if it works, you know, it works. Yeah. And I, so I just didn't, I didn't have that healthy or unhealthy fear of, well, what if it doesn't work? I was like, well, I need a house. I can afford the, the mortgage payment, whatever, let's go. And, and I, and I looked up and I knew what people were renting for. So I knew I'd be able to rent it for, to cover the mortgage pay, payment with the rent. Yeah, and you saw your dad do it too, which was really yeah. help, really helpful to say, hey, you know, he's done this eight times. Um, why shouldn't I start doing this? Yeah, that's true. Although he hated it. So. Oh, really? <laughs> well, you know, you have to keep in mind we were 
he had to have a high, a management company because we were we we were in Austin in the mid seventies, but then we left because he he got transferred. Um, so it was always it was always out in the distance, and the houses many of them weren't in great neighborhoods, so the the quality of the tenants often weren't great. So when people would move out, a lot of times there was a bill that was coming with it. But you know, at the end of the day, he sold the houses and made money. So. You know, he was just tired. He was like many other landlords. He was tired of dealing with it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when it comes to finding rental properties, that's always a great opportunity to find a rental property as a, a landlord that's tired of dealing with it. This yeah. this property I'm in in East Austin, you know, the landlord was just tired of dealing with it and hadn't fixed much up and wasn't getting high rents. And I was able to get a great deal on it because of that. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think my only thing is I wish my dad had let me buy the one and held on to the other ones for about five or six more years. So then I could have figured out how to buy those. But that wasn't even on my radar at the time, nor his, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you, know, you said you're in Austin. He was in Austin when he bought all these houses, mm -hmm. but got transferred out. So you know, you've seen other parts of the country or parts of the world. Why do you choose to live and invest in Austin? Well, I mean, Austin's a great place to live, so it's a fairly easy, why have I never left? I mean, it's, there's, there's a ton of us who came here to go to college and, never, and then never left. Um, so that's, that just kind of is what it is. I've thought, I've toyed on, at other, on a, other occasions of, of moving to, you know, Colorado or somewhere like that where it's not so hot in the summer, but I've never done it. So mm -hmm. here I am. And then why do I invest in Austin? I mean, we're in one of the best real estate markets in the country by far. We have been, I mean since I've moved here, I've been here for over 30 years now. And so I don't know why I would go do it anywhere else, except if I were buying rental properties right now, I actually probably would go, I'd probably go out of state. Mm -hmm. So, so you're mostly developing spec homes right now, correct? Yes. So I build to sell. Awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. A great, great thing to do here right now. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good gig. I've been doing it for about 11 years and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good job. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, Lynn, it sounds like you've done quite a few deals and you've seen your dad do quite a few deals. Could you tell us about a bad deal you've been through or maybe some lessons you've learned of what not to do? Maybe the deal didn't necessarily go wrong and you lost any money, but maybe just something you've learned and you want to tell the listeners, Hey, don't do this. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't made any, any horrible, horrible deals, I will say that. I mean, and one of the great things about real estate in a good market is even a bad deal gets fixed with time. So if you're willing to hold on to something as long as you can afford it, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a great thing. Um, I, think, I think the best advice though is like, don't fall in love with a deal. Just, it's, this, is, this is when you're investing and, and it's different if you're gonna buy a house and live in it, but when you're buying an investment prop property, it's about the numbers and follow your gut, right? So I, I invest where I know. So it's, it's pretty easy. I drive by the neighborhood. I drive by the house. Well, if I were buying rental houses, but I, you just look at everything. And if I get a bad feeling about something, I just move on. And even, even in buying land, you know, like well, when I say land, when I buy a house that I'm doing urban infill, so I'm tearing down houses. If there's a hoarder house next door that's going to, decrease the value of the property or make or of a new build or make it hard to sell. You know, I think long and hard about that. And it isn't necessarily a deal killer, 
it just has to be something that I change what I was going to do on that property so that doesn't become a hindrance in the end. So for instance, I'm going to show out rough, I'm going to throw out rough numbers. I do a lot in 78704. And if I'm building something that I'm hoping to sell for a million, million and a half, and there's an absolute hoarder house right next door, I know that I've just lost probably $500,000 of that because I can still sell that house because it's in a neighborhood people want and they will do that to get in there, but nobody's going to pay market, top of market for that property. So you just kind of know that. Maybe, maybe because of that, I was able to shave off a couple hundred thousand dollars of the lot price. So maybe it's worth it. And then I just build something that's a little bit less expensive to build. You know, it's just a matter of understanding your numbers, understanding what you're doing and choose the right thing for what that is and go with your gut. Like, don't let yourself convince yourself that something will work when it won't. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's one of the biggest problems. It's like, yeah, every, I think yeah. every, every project has a problem or an issue or something you a problem you have to solve or, you know, it's just a matter of whether those work in that, in that scenario for what you want to do. Absolutely. And I think you bring up a great point um, of easier with buy and hold. You know, if you, if you're buying, let's say a house in East Austin and the house next door is just a complete piece of junk but you plan on holding on to this rental property for five to seven or 10 years before you're going to sell it. Chances are that house next door may be fixed up, but yeah, when you're buying something where you're going to tear down the house and build new and sell it in less than a year or maybe a year and a half, you can't afford that. Yeah. You need to know what you're doing and you need to know what's going on with the local area and you know what your strategy is because what works for me might not work for you. Yeah. And, And there's very few, like everybody always asks me if I get a good deal on things. It's like, there's very few deals. Mm -hmm. Houses go for what they're worth. Mostly. Like I've gotten a couple, I've bought a few things where I've been like, whoa, they could have gotten more for that. But generally speaking, they go for what they're worth. So just know that. Don't just, just make it work in your numbers. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. You know, if it works for you, it works, and that's all yeah. that matters. All right. Is there one thing you could tell us that newer investors should know? So maybe somebody's looking to do infill construction, and you want to tell them just one thing they need to look out for. Mm. One thing, um, you've got to be properly capitalized. It's the biggest way you won't get in trouble. I mean, things cost money. You've got to be able to, you, there, things happen, accidents happen. And I don't mean like accidents, like somebody falls off a ladder. I mean, <laughs> you planned for this HVAC system that it was $10,000 and you figured out that that's not going to work. And now it needs to be $20,000. Like you've got to have the money to do the project. Otherwise, what happens is you get halfway through, you've run out of money, and you are dead in the water. Do you have some sort of contingency budget? Like, maybe, you know, I try to budget, hey, my repairs are going to be this amount. I'll tack on 20%. Yeah. Do you do something like that, too? Um, depends on the project. If there's, if there's really some unknowns in it. You know, I've, I've been doing this long enough that I'm pretty good at my budgeting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but so I don't necessarily tack on a contingency and I also try to budget high. So I don't, I don't try to kid myself that, you know, labor is going to get cheaper in the next year. I would rather, you know, cushion things along the way and, and get it right and not run out of money. Um, the other thing is I'm, I'm now at a point where if I need to inject more capital into a project, I generally can do that. Um, I don't like to, it screws up my numbers, but if I have to do it, I can do it. So I would say for a new investor, man, just comb through all the details and make sure you've got as much information as you know to put your budget together. And, you know, if you don't know, if you don't know how much it costs to install a water heater, go to the Home Depot website, figure out how to get the water heater or Lowe's or Home Depot, one or, one or both of them do it. They'll give you a cost for installation. Mm-hmm. Use their costs. You're you know, you're not going to have to pay more for it somewhere else. You've already got the cost. So figure out what you need to do, figure out what it's going to cost to get it done and put it into your budget. And don't kid yourself. Don't go, oh, well, Home Depot says they'll do it for $300. I think I can get it for $250. No, put the $300 in your budget. Yeah. You know, and you, speak to, you were speaking of costs going up over time. So mm-hmm. a few years ago, Home Depot would install a 50-gallon water heater with the water heater for around 1000 bucks. Anytime recently, I've heard twelve to fourteen hundred dollars from people that have called Home Depot. So, yeah, don't talk to your uncle Bob that did this six years ago. Call and get the number now. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That and that's that's critical. In you know, we're in a tight labor market, and right. right now because of COVID, we're in supply chain. I don't want to use the word disaster, but sometimes sometimes <laughs> supply chain disasters. So you know you. I would, I rarely expect prices to go down. I would always expect them to go up a little bit. Yeah. And you talked about supply chain disasters. The prices have gone up so much because of COVID mm-hmm. for things like lumber and other materials you're dealing with. You kind of wonder if they're going to go back down to normal prices after COVID. When they're getting $5 for a two by four, why are they going to take $3 for a two by four when they can get more supply? Yeah, I, th- I think some of them will. Some of it, like like right now, they're about to cut the tariffs on the lumber, mm-hmm. or they're saying they're going to. So that'll bring it down some. Some of that is true supply and demand, but you're right. Some of them won't come down. Yeah. And some of them, I think, will. Um, I think there's enough screaming going on around uh, lumber prices that that they'll come down just because they went up so fast. Um, yeah, but but again, a lot of that that was that was supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. So. We'll see, right? I mean, right now, I'm, everything I'm budgeting right now has current lumber prices in it. And I'm watching, you know, I'm watching the futures and I'm watching some of that other stuff to kind of try to see what's going to happen. But you just never know. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope it adjusts, but you, yeah. you never know. Yeah. So when you've been in this for a while and you've definitely dealt with lots of issues as anybody in real estate is, What's your best mindset advice for staying positive and staying motivated? Um, I think the easiest thing to just remind yourself is we're not saving lives here. We're not doctors. We're not surgeons. Things happen all the time. Your job is to solve problems, remove obstacles, and keep moving forward. And if you can just keep doing that, I think you're, you're, you're doing all right. And some days won't, it won't feel like you're doing that, but you know, it's like we're building houses. We're not, things are going to go wrong. It's custom manufacturing. Mm-hmm. My, you know, I, I have, I don't, I don't swing a hammer. I've got crews that do all the work. 
So I just really look at my job is to show up when there's a problem and, and fix or address the problem in such a way as the guys can keep moving. And then I go and go home and relax. I don't know. I, I just can't get too worked up over most of it. There's people with much harder, much more stressful jobs. The money part can be stressful sometimes, but man, I live a pretty charmed life. I don't sit in an office most of the time. I get to build beautiful things. I get to talk to people who enjoy what they're doing most of the time. I don't know. It's hard to get too upset about it. (laughs) Can't get mad. Could be worse. Could be a lot worse. Could be a lot worse. So, Lynn, do you have a favorite business or mindset book you'd like to recommend for the listeners? Oh, people love that question. (laughs) (laughs) So, what I'll do is I'll tell you. There's a there's a book that I read that was there's been a couple books that were life changing, and they're they're not real estate related, but they're they are business related. And one is um, David Allen's Getting Things Done. I like like many of us am fairly classic ADHD like. You know, I keep a lot of stuff in my head and I mostly am able to keep all the balls in the air and keep them going. But every once in a while I drop on, drop something. So I, I many, many years ago learned his getting things done methodology and then modified it to work a little bit better with me. And, uh, I don't necessarily use it daily in the sense that you're supposed to check things daily, but I've always got my list and I do check it and I find out I'm like, Oh, didn't do that. And I can go do it. Um, and it's on my phone. It's on my computer. It's on my iPad. So anywhere I am, I have access to it. Um, and then the other one was before I got into real estate, I owned an ad agency and I read a book called the E-Myth. And, um, I think many people have read that one and the E-Myth did a couple things for me. One, it, you know, it tells you the importance of processes and documenting your processes and working through them so that you can hand off portions of your business it also helps you identify which one of the types of people you are, whether you're, you know, the visionary, the, the technician, or the, I can't remember what the salesperson, I can't remember what the third one was, mm-hmm. um, you know, figure out who you are. And then it also weirdly gave me permission to stop doing the things I'm not good at. And uh, I've just gotten to, there's things that I'm really good at and I tend to enjoy the things I'm really good at. And those are the things that make me money. And the other port parts tend to take up way too much time and cause too much stress. So I've learned to let other people do those things. That's so, awesome. Yeah. E-Myth is a great book. I have not Fantastic book. getting things done and I'll have to pick that up too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how long were you doing the ad agency thing? Mm, I did that for almost 20, well, 18 years, 18 to 20. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That was the last gig I had before I did this. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so Lynn, how can people get a hold of you and how can they partner with you? So how can people help you and, and how can they reach you to talk about this? Yeah. So, I mean, the easiest way is my website. I'm on, you know, I'm on, I'm on all of them. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on, uh, on my website, which is starlingdevelopment.com and starling with an A. Uh, there's a contact form on there. There's a phone number for me on there. Um, you can either text or call me. Um, I, I'm on Instagram. I've got a YouTube channel. So there's all sorts of ways to get to know me. And, uh, and then how do I work with folks? I do, I do a few things. I've got, I, I work with investors. I uh, have people that invest in my projects. And uh, I'd like to think I'm, I'm a pretty good, pretty good risk with your money. It gets mm-hmm. pretty good returns. And uh, I think the, the best way to say that is pretty much all of my investors come back. So, and go into other projects. Um, and then, 
hmm, what, what was I thought I was going to say something and that's all I got. <laughs> but uh, so, so really reach out to you via your website or, or one of these social media platforms. And if somebody wants to invest with you on some of your ground up development, you'd love to talk to them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. All yeah. Right. And then, I, I mean, I do do, I, because, because of the business that I'm in, I do custom homes too, but, oh. but that's not really the focus of this podcast. So, yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, let's yeah. talk about that real quick. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit more about what you do there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not unlike building a spec home, mm-hmm. except for it is because it's a, the business model is a little bit different and you've got the client involved. So it's, it's really more of a client management and a project management versus a project management job. Um, but it, what that got started because I was building these spec homes and people would walk through them and love them, but it wasn't necessarily the right home from them for them. And people were asking me if I'd do custom work. And for the longest time I said, no. And then finally one day I said, yeah, I'll do a custom job. And, uh, I started doing that probably six ish years ago now. And I had to, you know, the first couple were a little rough. I had to come up with new processes and new ways of doing things and, really, really foc- learn to focus on what's important to the client because, you know, that's, that's one of the most stressful things that most people do is build, get a house built for themselves yeah. and be involved in that process. Yeah. You know, I've kind of in the past joked that I should probably get some sort of marriage counseling certificate for doing that kind of work. But, yeah. um, but you know, over the years I've, and through the projects, I, I would like to think I've gotten pretty good at helping, helping clients through that process. There's sometimes going to be some rough patches just because of the the way it all goes, but, um, you know, it's kind of a a similar process. My job is, my job is to one, provide them with a beautiful house Mm -hmm. and two, hopefully help them keep their sanity through the entire process. So do you help people just build on raw land or do they buy lots with existing homes on them and then you tear them down and build there? What do you do mostly? We've done all of the above. We've done. Yeah. I mean, we can, and we've also, you know, we've also helped them find the land. Um, because when you're building in the city, in the city of Austin, we've got a lot of rules and regulations and you find folks that they want to build something, but they don't necessarily know what they can build on a specific parcel or on a specific lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and some realtors have a pretty good idea of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and some don't. And so usually the way, you know, usually they've got a realtor, I'm not a realtor, so they've got a realtor or I can refer them to a realtor because that's not, you know, there's, there's so many other pieces of it, but Mm -hmm. what happens is when they find something they're interested in, if they're thinking of making an offer on it, they can just, you know, let me know. I'll go by. It takes me, you know, 10 minutes to drive uh, other than the drive, but I can yeah. sit and look at it. You know, I can go check out a piece of a piece of property and tell them in five, 10 minutes, whether they're going to be able to do what they want on that lot. Okay. Unless there's something just really crazy going on, but most of the time it's really simple. So that's, that's how we do that portion of it. Awesome. So do you build uh, houses with ADUs for people or is it mostly just Mm -hmm. one house on one lot? Yeah, we're doing, we're doing again, both, but Mm -hmm. a lot of folks now want either an ADU or a casita or something else with it. Um, It's, it's, it's funny because when I first started building, it was mostly, mostly the duplex model that we would then sell off either side. Mm -hmm. And then the ADUs became really popular and they were starting. I, I do most of my work in the city in 78704. And those were kind of starting to fall off as the house prices got higher. Um, so most people were starting to build just one house on the lot <clears throat> because they didn't, people weren't wanting to pay that much for a house that they shared the lot with somebody else. They wanted the whole yard. 
And then it flipped again to where people wanted the two houses. They just wanted to buy them themselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So yeah, we do. I've got, I've got one that I'm working on right now that we're building big house, little house, same, same lot. Yeah. I think it's a great, great use of your land in the city anymore too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So I, I know a lot of our listeners are interested in the ADU model or maybe building new and putting an ADU there too. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully at some point, there will be some land development code changes that make those restrictions and how it has to be done a little bit looser. Cause I think that um, one of the things we're missing are the tools to buy a lot that has a little house on it. That's usually towards the front of the lot and build the big house in the back. So you preserve the little house in the front and go in the back for the big house. Right now the code has us tearing all these homes down. And a lot of people really like, they want to keep those houses. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of folks really, you know, either the house isn't in that bad of shape or they have a soft spot for the, for the actual design and character of that home. Um, right now that's just really difficult to do. So we end up building two. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows when they finally get the codes. Who knows. It's been a few years now they've been working on that. Hopefully sometime yeah. soon. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all oh. I know is we just work with what they give us at this point and that's all we can do. It's all you, all you can do. Yep. All right, Lynn, one last question, probably the most important question I ask anybody here is what's your favorite restaurant in Austin? Ooh, so, (laughs) well, in the before times, I'll use that one before the COVID days, because I don't go to restaurants near as much as I used to. I used to uh, eat out at least probably once a day. Um, I think one of my favorites is um, Emmer and Rye down on Rainy Street. I think they're doing some really interesting stuff, some fantastic food. Got a great wine list. I love to I love to go in there, like I said, in the before times, sit at the bar, talk to the bartenders, the chef will come out and talk to you. And uh I just think they're doing some great things down there. That's awesome. I'll have to yeah. check that out. I have not been there. Yeah, it's a good one. There's so many. You know, I ask this so question many. every episode and I can never keep up with all the restaurants people give me. You know, I, I have just an endless exhaustive list of great restaurants to go to. But You need to do a chart of them on your on your website so we can also see how many are, you know, That's overlaps great. and how many people vote the same ones. I mean, but to your point, there's there's so many. Sometimes I, it's like, you know, give me a country I'm eating for and I can give you a restaurant kind of thing, you know? Absolutely. Really, there aren't so many overlaps so far. You know, oh, I've interesting. not heard the same restaurant too, too many times. Well, you'll need to do more podcasts then. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, Lynn, thank you so much for coming on here. I really appreciate it. Um, sure, thank if you. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what is the name of your website again? It's Starling Development with an A. So it's Starling like the bird, yeah. development.com, but they can also find me um, at lynncurrybuilds.com, which is houses my YouTube channel, although my YouTube channel has more videos. All right. So check Lynn out on starlingdevelopment.com. Definitely reach out to her if you have any questions about building a custom home in the city of Austin. Awesome. Thank All you. Right. Thanks, Lynn. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.